Part seven of Full Speed Ahead by Henry B. Beston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part seven. Twenty seven. Ships of the Air. After I had been to visit several of the bases, I returned to London and called at the Navy headquarters. A young officer of the Admiral staff, who was always ready and willing to help the writers assigned to the Navy in every possible way, came down to talk with me. Had I been to base X, to base Y? Had I been to see the American submarines, the naval aviation? I grasped at the last phrase. Tell me about it, I said. I had no idea that the sea flyers were over here. Last fall, the streets of Boston were so thick with boys of that service that you could hardly move around. And now they are on this side. Where can I find them? The officer drew me to a large-scale map of the British Isles and the French coast, which hung on the wall, plentifully jabbed with little flags. His finger fairly flew from one dot to another. Well, said he, we have a station here, another station here, another there. There's a station on this point of land. Right about here we're putting up buildings for a depot, but there's nobody at hand yet. Here's a big station. I believe that he would have continued for five minutes. You seem to have a big affair well in hand, I suggested, rather surprised. No, he corrected, just beginning. The department scheme for the Naval Aviation Service is one of the big things of the war. It's so big, so comprehensive, that people over there haven't woken up to it yet. Aren't you going to base L next week? Why don't you go down the coast a few miles and see the outfit at Z? Only don't forget that we've just begun to fight. Come upstairs and let me give you a letter. A few days later, I ran down to see the aviators in their eyrie. The naval station lay in a sheltered cove hidden away in a green and ragged coast. Standing at a somewhat tumble-down old pier, I saw ahead of me a gentle slope descending to a broad beach of shingle. Midway along this beach, ending under the water, was to be seen a wide concrete runway which I judged to be but newly finished, for empty barrels of cement and gravel separators stood nearby. At the top of the slope, in a great field behind mossy trees, lay the corrugated iron dormitories of a vast deserted camp, once the repose quarters of a famous fighting regiment. There was something of the atmosphere of an abandoned picnic ground to the place, sailor sentries stood at the entrance of the quiet roads leading to the empty barracks and directed me to those in authority the naval station is a new service for a long time the uniform of the cadets was so unfamiliar that even in their own america the boys used to be taken for foreign officers it was a case of i say he's an italian no dear i'm sure he's a belgian a not unnatural mistake for the uniform has a certain foreign jauntiness in color it is almost an olive green and consists of a short high-collared tunic cut snugly to the figure shaped breeches of the riding pattern and puttees to match add the ensign's solitary stripe and a star on the shoulder and sleeve and you have it i found a group of the flyers in one of the tin barracks that did duty as a kind of recreation center the spokesman of the party was a serious lad from boston fire away they yelled good-naturedly to my announcement that i was going to bomb with questions first of all about how many of you are there helping to make it home-like for fritz in this amiable spot oh, about fifty of us been here long no just came you see the station is not really finished yet but they are hurrying it along to beat the cars did you spot that concrete runway as you came up a daisy isn't it 
slope just right and no skimping on the width well that's only one of the runways we're going to have over on the other side the plans call for three or four more and what do these sailors do i had noticed a large number of sailors about they look after our machines and the balloons you see this is a regular aviation section just the same as the army has and the sailors are trained mechanics repairmen clerks and so forth they're rather taking it easy now because the planes have been somewhat slow in reaching us you know as well as i do the rumpus that's been made in the states over the air program things are breezing up mighty fast now however and every supply ship that puts into the harbor brings some of our equipment the navy's ready the camps are being organized the men are trained it's up to the manufacturers to hustle along our machines please try to make them realize that when you write but say put in another don't for the love of pete run away with the idea that we haven't any equipment we've got some planes and some balloons but we want more 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 anything to keep the germans on the go what do you use i asked mostly balloons put in a third speaker a quiet young westerner who had thus far not joined in the conversation most of us are balloon observers though jos here he indicated the bostonian is a seaplane artist he runs one of the planes come said i tell the thrilling story there isn't any story groaned jos that's just the trouble i've been fooling around these coasts and out by the harbor's mouth in the hope of spotting a sub till i feel as if i've used up all the gasoline in the british isles those destroyers have spilled the beans fritz doesn't dare to come around ever try fishing in a place from which the fish have been thoroughly scared away it's like that mine-laying submarines used to be round the mouth of the harbor all the time now fritz is never seen or heard from the destroyers have spilled the beans the balloon hounds are the whole show here tell em about it mac you've taken more trips than any of the others the disgruntled seaplaner knocked a bulldog pipe on his shoe and was still i can't tell much drawled mac a wiry black little southerner with a wonderful accent they fill a balloon up here take it out to a destroyer or some patrol boat and tie it on just like a can to perp's tail then you go out in the irish sea and watch for subs if you observe anything that looks like a hun you simply telephone it down to the destroyer's deck and she rushes ahead and investigates sometimes the observer in the balloon sees something which can't be seen from the level of the destroyer's bridge and in that case the balloonist practically steers the vessel so many points to port so many to starboard and so on till you land them in the suspected area what's it like up above there in a balloon from the deck of a battleship or a destroyer it seems to be a calm matter don't be too sure of that i know it looks calm calm as a regular up-in-the-air old feather bed and it isn't bad if you have a decent wind with which the course and speed of the ship are in some sort of an agreement but if the ship's course lies in one direction and the wind is blowing from another the balloon blows all over the place when the wind blows from behind you float on ahead and try to pull the ship after you if the wind is from the head you are dragged along at the end of a chain like a mean dog there is always sure to be a party if the ship zigzags now you are pulling towards the bow now you are floating serenely to port now you are tugging behind and now you are nowhere in particular and apparently standing on your head we went to walk in the grounds 
i was shown where the balloon shed was to be the generators and a dozen other houses evidently the station was going to be some outfit already a big gang of civilian laborers electrified by american energy were hard at work laying the foundations of a large structure yes said one of the boys this is going to be a great place when it's completed we shall have regular seaplane patrols of this entire coast and a balloon squadron ready to cooperate with either the british or the american destroyer fleets our boys along the french coast have already made it hot for some huns and believe me if there are any subs left you just bet we want a chance at em such is the spirit that has driven the germans from the sea twenty eight the sailor in london the convalescent english tommy in his sky-blue flannel suit white shirt and orange four-in-hand the heavier tropic-bred australian with his hat-brim knocked jauntily up on one side the dark grey-eyed scotch highlander very broad and bony in his plated kilt these be picturesque figures on the streets of london but the most picturesque of all is our own american tar our gobs are always so spruce and clean and so young young with their own youth and the youth of the nation jack ashore is to be found at the abbey at almost any hour of the day he wanders into the national gallery and stands before nelson at st paul's he causes fair hearts to break asunder at hampton court wherever you go in london the wonderful wide trousers and the good old pancake hat this last worn cockily over one eye are always to be seen in what nautical writers of the victorian school call the offing our boys come in liberty parties of thirty and forty from the various bases usually under the wing of a chief petty officer very conscious of his responsibility for these wild sailor souls accommodations are taken either at a good london hotel with which the authorities have some arrangement or the personnel is distributed among various huts and hospitable dwellings the great rallying centre is sure to be the eagle hut off the strand this famous hut which every soldier or sailor who visits london will long remember is situated by a happy coincidence in modern london's most new yorkish area it stands a huddle of low inconspicuous buildings in just such a raw open space between three streets as on this side prefigures the building of a new skyscraper the great modern mass of australia house lifts its imposing beaux-arts facade a little distance above it whilst the front of a fashionable hotel rises against the sky just behind the ragged island the sense of open space the fine high buildings say wouldn't you think you were back in america again yet only a few hundred feet down the strand old st clement danes lies like a ship of stone anchored in the thoroughfare and samuel johnson l l d stands bareheaded in the sun wondering what has happened to the world the hut within is simply an agglomeration of big clean rectangular spaces reading-rooms living-rooms dormitories and baths always full of husky pink figures steam and smell of soap physically eagle hut is merely the larger counterpart of some thousand others the wonder of the place is its atmosphere the narrow threshold might be three thousand miles in width for cross it and you will find yourself in america 
all the dear distinctive national things for which your soul and body have hungered and thirsted are gathered here there is actually an american shoe-shining stand an american barber chair and heaven be praised good american grub it is a sight to see the long counter thronged with the eager hungry blue jackets to hear the buzz of lively conversation carried on in the pervading aroma of fried eggs favorite dish or sandwich of apparently every doughboy and tar one's admiration grows for the y workers who keep at the weary grind of washing floors picking up stray cigarette butts and washing innumerable eggy plates i realized to the full what a poor old college professor who helped in a hut on the french front meant when he had said to me life is just one damned egg after another of course sometimes the hen fruit one hears all kinds of facetious aliases at the hut gives way to soi-disant buckwheat cakes a dainty lately honored by royal attention should you stroll about the buildings you will see sailors and soldiers reading in good comfortable chairs some playing various games others sitting in quiet corners writing letters home there is inevitably a crowd round the information bureau alas for the poor human encyclopedia he lives a bewildering life on the morning that i called he had been asked to supply the address of a goat farm by a quartermaster charged with the buying of a mascot and he was just recovering from this when a sailor from the grand fleet demanded a complete and careful resume of the british marriage regulations everybody seems cheerful and contented the officials are attentive and kind the guests good-natured and well-behaved such is the combination of club restaurant and hotel to which our jack resorts and there he lives content in this islet of america while london roars about him during the week he wanders as he says himself all over the place the good time ends with the saturday ball game everybody goes posters announce it through london in large black type on yellow paper u s army versus u s navy the field is most american-looking the bleachers might be those in any great american town the great game the game to remember was played in the presence of the king the day was a good one though now and then obscured with clouds a strangely mixed audience was at hand wounded tommies american soldiers speaking in all the tongues of all the forty-eight states a number of american civilians from the embassy and the london colony groups of dignified staff officers from the army and the navy headquarters and even a decorous group of britons dressed in the formal garments which are de rigueur in england at any high-class sporting event then in came the king walking ahead of his retinue a man of medium height with a most kind and chivalrous face our admiral walked beside him the band played eager eyes looked down the king looking up smiled and won the goodwill of every friendly young heart a few minutes later the noise broke forth again oh you army ah you navy a hullabaloo that culminated in a roar play ball the navy men wearing uniforms of blue with red stripes walked out first closely followed by the army in uniforms of gray-green the admiral towering straight and tall above his entourage threw the ball a pandemonium of yells broke forth now's the time give it to em boys so go to em so go to em steady army give em to em can run run smithy 
in a corner by themselves a group of blue jackets made a fearful noise with some kind of whirligig rattles songs rose in spots from the audience collided with other songs and melted away in indistinguishable tunes british tommies looked on phlegmatically enjoying it all just the same there were stray mocking cat calls it was a real effort to bring oneself back to london old london of decorous cricket tea and white flannels and of course the navy won over the heads of the vanishing crowd floated give em the axe the axe the axe where 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 bright in the neck the neck the neck there 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 who gets the axe army who says so navy it ends with a roar then there is a celebration and the next morning his holiday over jack is rounded up and put into a railway carriage the roofs of london die away and jack dozing over his magazines sees in a dream the great grey shapes of the battleships that wait for him in the endless northern rain twenty nine the armed guard when the germans began to sink our unarmed merchant vessels and announced that they intended to continue that course of action it was immediately seen that the only possible military answer to this infamous policy lay in arming every ship there were obstacles however to this defensive program we were at the time engaged in what was essentially a legal controversy with the germans a controversy in which the case of america and civilization was stated with a clarity a sincerity and a spirit of idealism which perhaps only the future can justly appreciate we could not afford to weaken our case by involving in doubt the legal status of the merchantman the enemy driven brilliantly point by point from the pseudo-legal defences of an outrageous campaign had taken refuge in quibbling the ship was armed a gun was seen such vessels must be considered as war vessels we all know the sorry story for a while our hands were tied then came our declaration of war which left our navy free to take protective measures the merchantmen were fitted with guns and given crews of navy gunners this service devoted to the protection of the merchant ship was known as the armed guard it was not long before tanker and tramp big merchantman and grimy collier sailed from our ports fully equipped vessels whose helplessness before the submarine had been extreme the helplessness of a wretched sparrow gripped in the talons of a hawk became fighting units which the submarine encountered at her peril moreover finding it no longer easy to sink ships with gunfire the submarines were forced to make greater use of their torpedoes and this in turn compelled them to attempt at frequent intervals the highly dangerous voyage to the german bases on the belgian coast sometimes the gun crews were british sometimes american the cooperation between the two navies was at once friendly and scientific the guns with which the vessels were equipped were of the best and the gun crews were recruited from the trained personnel of the fleet one occasionally hears aboard the greater vessels lamentations for gunners who have been sent on to the guard these crews consisted of some half-dozen men usually under the command of a chief petty officer a splendid record theirs they have been in action time and time again against the germans and have destroyed submarines 
there is many a fine tale in the records of crews who kept up the battle till the tilt of their sinking vessel made the firing of the gun an impossibility so far the gunners on the merchant ships have come in for the lion's share of attention but there is another and important side of the armed guard service which has not yet i believe been called to the public notice i mean the work of the signal men of the guard the arming of the merchant ships was the first defensive measure to be adopted the second the gathering of merchantmen into escorted groups known as convoys now a convoy has before it several definite problems if it was to make the most of its chances of getting through the german ambush it must act as a well-coordinated naval unit obeying orders answering signals and performing designated evolutions in the manner of a battleship squadron for instance convoys follow certain zigzag plans prepared in advance by naval experts frequently these schemes are changed at sea now if all the vessels change from plan x to plan y simultaneously all will go well but if some delay there is certain to be a most dangerous confusion perhaps a collision it is no easy task to keep twenty or so boats zigzagging in convoy formation and travelling in a general direction eastward at the same time merchant captains have had to accustom themselves to these strict orders no easy task for some old-fashioned masters merchant crews have had to be educated to the discipline and method of naval crews moreover there have been occasional foreign vessels to deal with and the problem presented by a foreign personnel in order therefore to assure that communication between the guide-ship of the convoy and its attendant vessels which is in the true sense of an abused word vital to the success of the expedition the navy placed one of its keenest signalmen on the vessels which required one he was there to give and to send signals by flag by international flag code by blinker and by semaphore the wireless was used as little as possible between the various vessels of the merchant fleet indeed practically not at all the system of signalling by holding two flags at various angles is fairly familiar since a number of organizations began to teach it and the semaphore system is the same system carried into action by two mechanical arms the method called blinker has a morse alphabet and is sent by exposing and shutting off a light the shorter exposures being the dots the longer exposures the dashes sometimes blinker is sent by the ship's searchlight a number of horizontal shutters attached to one perpendicular rod serving to open and close the light aperture one used to see the same scheme on the lower halves of old-fashioned window blinds the international flag code is perhaps the hardest signal system to remember it requires not only what a naval friend calls a good brute memory but also a good visual memory many have seen the flags gay pieces of various striped patched checkered and dotted bunting reminiscent of a tokyo street fair the signalman must learn the flag alphabet committing to memory the colors and their geometric arrangement he must also learn the special signification of each particular letter for instance one letter of the alphabet stands for i wish to communicate there are also numbers to remember phrases and sentences 
if a signalman cares to specialize he can study certain minor systems for instance the one in which a dot and a dash are symbolized by different colored lights a signalman must have a good eye a quick brain and a good memory it is a feat in itself to remember what one has already received while continuing to receive a long perhaps complicated message because of these intellectual requirements you will find among the signalmen some of the cleverest lads in the navy giles such a lad idaho another and pop was always on the job the guard has its barracks in a great american port one saw there the men being sorted out equipped for their special service and assigned to their post a fine lot of real seafaring youngsters tanned almost black the navy looked after them in a splendid fashion said one of the boys to me if i'd only known what a wonderful place the navy was i'd been in it long ago the boys were sent over in the merchant ships were cleanly lodged in excellent hotels once they got to land and were then sent back on various liners the armed guard was a real seafaring service and its men one and all were touched by the romance and mystery of the sea they fell in with strange old tramps hurried from the east they broke bread with strange crews they beheld the sea in the sullen wrath it cherishes beneath the winter skies one and all they have stood by their guns one and all stood by their tasks good sturdy american lads gentlemen unafraid thirty going aboard giles who had just been sent to the armed guard from the fleet was waiting for orders in a room at the naval barracks it was early in the spring the sun shone renewed and clear a hurdy-gurdy sounded far far away the big room was clean clean with that hard orderly tidiness which marks the habitations of men under military rule a number of sailors likewise waiting for their orders stood about there was a genuine sea-going quality in the tanned eager young faces the conversation dealt with their journeys with the ships with the men the life aboard the furloughs in london bunch of danes good eats chucked bill right in his bunk regular peach saw jeff at the eagle hut presently a bosun appeared a man somewhere in the thirties brisk and athletic one could see him counting the assembled sailors as he came the numbers forming on his soundless lips the talk died away how many men here said the bosun abruptly several of the sailors began counting there was much turning around a deal of whispered estimations everyone appeared to be looking at everybody else finally a deep voice from a corner said thirty-five anyone down for leave some half-dozen members of a gun crew just home from a long journey called out that leave had been given them anybody on sick list there was no answer in the ensuing silence the bosun checked off the answers on his list i suppose you all want to go out sure get in line the bosun backed away and looked with an official eye at the sturdy group all here pack up and stand by at eleven o'clock have all your baggage at the drill office i'll send a man up to get the mail the line broke up keen for the coming adventure giles the signalman walked at a brisk pace to his quarters you would have seen a lad of about twenty-two years of age between medium height and tall and unusually well built 
some years of wrestling he had one distinction in this sport at school had given him a tremendously powerful neck and chest but with all the strength there was no suggestion of beefiness the friendliest of brown eyes shone in the clean-cut handsome head he had a delightful smile always a sign of good breeding in habit he was industrious and persevering in manner of life clean and true beyond reproach giles is an american sailor lad a real gob and i have described him at some length because of this same reality the sooner we get to know our sailors the better back in his quarters he busied himself with packing his bag now packing one of those cylindrical bags is an art in itself first of all each garment must be folded or rolled in a certain way the sleeve in this manner the collar in that it is all patiently taught at training stations then the articles themselves must be placed within the bag in an orderly arrangement and last of all toilet articles and such gear must be stowed within convenient reach a clean smell of freshly washed clothes and good yellow kitchen soap rose from the tidy bundles in went an extra suit those trousers are real broadcloth don't get em nowadays none of that bum serge they're trying to wish on you a packet of underwear tied and knotted with wonderful sailor knots and last of all handkerchiefs soap and other minor impedimenta done up in blue and red bandana handkerchiefs you simply put the articles on the handkerchiefs and knot the four corners neatly over the top there you have the sailor only at sea does one realize to what an extent the bandana handkerchief is a boon to mankind when the bag was packed it was a triumph of industry and skill shouldering it the sailor walked to the drill office he was early a good substantial luncheon had been prepared there were plates of hearty sandwiches just before noon a fleet of buses took them to the pier the day was clear but none too warm and great buffeting salvos of dust-laden wind blew across the befouled and busy waters of the port a young almost boyish ensign gave each man his final orders and a kind of identification slip for their captains the sailors of the guard wearing reefers and with round hats jammed tightly on their heads stood backed against a wind that curled the wide ends of their blue trousers close about their ankles presently grimy hot and pouring out coils of brownish choking smoke a big ocean-going tug glided over to the wharf and took them aboard then bells rang the propeller churned and the tug turned her corded nose down the bay the convoy lay at anchor at the very mouth of the roads a miscellaneous lot of vessels mostly of british registration some new some very very old the pick of the group was a fine large vessel with an outlandish maori name giles heard later that she had just been brought over from new zealand the inevitable grimy decked tankers and ammoniacal mule boat completed the lot an american cruiser lay at the very head of the line men could be seen moving about on her and there was much washing flapping in the wind the tug went from vessel to vessel landing a signalman here a gun crew there one by one the lads clambered aboard to shouts of see you later and soak em one for me giles was almost the last man left aboard the tug presently he darted off busily to a clean little tramp camouflaged in tones of pink gray and rusty black 
the tug slid alongside caressingly there were more bells a noise of churning of water over the side of the greater vessel leaned a number of the crew a casual curiosity in their eyes seafaring men in dingy jerseys opening at the throat and showing hairy chests a putty-faced ship's boy watched the show a little to one side presently an officer of the ship young deep-chested and with a freshly healed puckering star-shaped wound at the left-hand corner of his mouth came briskly down the deck and stood by the head of the ladder giles caught up his bag climbed aboard and reported the officer brought him to the captain then when the formalities were over the second mate took him in charge and assigned the lad his quarters and his watches the convoy set sail the next morning just as a pale cold and unutterably laggard dawn rose over a sea stretching vast and empty to the clearly marked line of a distant and leaden horizon the escorting cruiser flying a number of flags was the first to get under way and behind her followed the merchantmen in their allotted positions each ship flying its position flag giles watched the departure from the bridge behind him the vast city rose silent above the harbour mist ahead rich in promise of adventure and romance lay the great plain of the dark the inhospitable the unsullied the heroic sea End of part 7